0: Talk radio 96.7. Yes, we're back into touch with sports on the ozone. Brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors and by Foshi Jewelers.
1: All right, Ronnie O. and Coach Joe back in the ozone. Give us a call, 682 1430. That's 682 1430. If you'd like to join in the conversation, Coach Joe and I are talking sports, and uh, man, we're having fun, and we'd love for you to join in on having the fun. So, or if you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Coach Joe, Florida Gators got some basketball games coming up that you can hear on WONN 107.1 or 1230 AM. This Saturday, Auburn's gonna visit UF. They currently are tied for the lead in the SEC. 330 tip off, three o'clock pregame. And then next Tuesday, LSU visits the Exact Tech Arena. And that will be Tuesday, the thirteenth of February, 8 p.m. tip off, 7 30 pregame. And uh, Coach Joe, did you know that Alehouse has some big game bundles? If you go out there, they've got a special, 12 wings, a pitcher of Miller or Coors Light for $2749. How about them apples?
2: Oh, that's the way to go. Great, great wings there by the way, the the yeah. you really, You really are going to enjoy those if you get a, get a chance to eat there. Um, and, yeah, with that, that kind of a deal. And the great setup for the TV. So if you want to see a big college basketball game, and we're getting to that time of year where the games are going to start getting bigger in the conference tournaments and then March Madness, can't wait. And, you know, we were talking some college basketball with uh, our guest, Mark Wise, who you're going to hear from in a little while. And it w- and we're just having a great time thinking about how exciting it's getting. Uh, Gators got beat in their last game, but they have come out of the wood out of the woods, and they are currently projected by Bracketology on ESPN to be part of the tournament. Now they got to finish the job over the last month of the season. But uh, you know, a couple weeks ago they were nowhere to be found, but now they're they're back in the hunt.
1: Exactly. Alehouse House also has takeout, so you can go to their website and uh, learn more about that. Well golf season, I guess, is underway, at (laughs) least in Bogota, Colombia, where Cristobal Del Solar shot 57 in a corn ferry event, the lowest in a PGA-sanctioned event ever. Now, Jim Furyk shot 58 at TPC River Highlands in Connecticut. He had shot 72 in the opening round. He had to shoot at least 66 to make the cut. Ended up finishing 70th out of 73 players.
2: Yeah, you know, with this time of year they play a lot in California and Hawaii and Arizona. This week they're in Phoenix. Expect some low scores there too. And uh, you know what was it? Wyndham Clark last week in yeah. bad conditions out at Pebble shot 60. So that's a lot of a lot of incredible play going on on the PGA Tour, which you know continues to uh, adjust. Uh, in in little ways, but they're they're trying to make themselves a little bit of a better uh, place for the players to stay. They they've been hit by some LIV defections. John Rom going to LIV really hurt, but it, it looks like they're trying to do some stuff differently. That you know that used to be the Crosby Pro Am, and it used to be about celebrities and athletes. They really dialed that down, and it was much more about the pros. They made it one of those signature events, and they jacked up the prize money for the pros, and they went out there. But bad luck with the weather.
1: They had to shorten it to 54 holes. Yeah, you know, I, I have lunch with a group of guys. We call ourselves a chicken club. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of them are golfers and re- very good golfers. And uh, they just shake their heads at what's going on in professional golf with the way that the equipment and the balls have just outstripped the courses. And, you know, you get a guy shooting 60 um I wonder and and they they talk about this a lot. What could the guy shoot on that same course with Persimmon Woods and you know the equipment that Nicholas and Palmer and those guys played with back in the day? And uh, you know I, I don't know. I, I tend to agree with them that a lot of the records being set now, it's kind of like the steroid era in baseball. well, the the equipment is crazy
2: good now, especially the balls, which they've been talking about dialing back for the PGA events, so at least on tour. Uh, so far, that hasn't quite come to fruition, but uh, keep an eye on that because there's going to be some equipment adjustments at some point. Right now, they're adjusting the courses, these historic courses, whether it be Pebble Beach or, or some of the other older courses. They, they've tweaked to try to make them uh, more difficult for the modern player, but there's only so much length you can add uh, to a course. There's only so much land. Uh, Augusta is an example. They seem to lengthen that course uh, every year and i don't recognize it from the what we watched growing up when nicholas and palmer were playing on it but uh, these were necessary because they're hitting the ball so far because the technology is just so good and and there's guys who are paid a lot of money to spend a lot of time in labs to, to find ways to make the ball go even farther
1: yeah exactly the players might not be on steroids but the equipment is <laughs> oh my goodness yeah
2: yeah there might be some players too but uh, sports is doing a better job of of, of Uh, you know kind of uh filtering that out of the game uh it's uh, nobody wants to see that and and, uh but guys are definitely stronger. You know, in the old days, it was considered laughable to for a guy like Gary Player to talk about how the good physical shape he kept himself in. Guys were overweight. They smoked in the middle of the round, if not yeah. in the middle of their swing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they weren't worried at all. Dave Hill once uh, laughed uproariously at the thought of trying to stay in shape. You know, he was one of those guys who smoked all over the course. So, but nowadays, they've got workout trailers. They, they, these guys are serious about physical fitness as well as their equipment. A guy like Rory McElroy. Could probably you know play soccer or or play some other sport besides golf? He's in that great of a shape, and uh, they're all like that now,
1: no doubt about it. Well, <clears throat> we like to break news here on the ozone. And oh yeah, one <laughs> of the big questions has been with the Florida Gators: Are the Gators going to hire an offensive coordinator, or is Billy Napier going to call the plays again next year? <laughs> well, today he came out on a podcast. <clears throat> And said he is going to call the plays next year.
2: Okay, well, uh, you know it's uh, he's taking responsibility for it. If it goes well, great. I, I, you know, I think I don't know that the Gator play calling was as bad as people th- say it is. There are times when you got to look kind of cross-eyed. At what what are you thinking doing that now? For the example, pulling out trick plays at the oddest times and seemingly momentum killers inst- instead of being something to spark you by, but. Uh, the it's really about execution, you know, about the getting good enough players, and we'll see. We'll see if the Gators make a little bit of a leap next year because a lot of the young players they're usually getting older, and they're bringing in a few extra big time players. You know, their actual uh, recruiting rankings have for this year have improved to tenth. I know, saw they, that. So so now they do have a top ten class now that signing day, the official signing day is passed. So it's looking a little bit more promising, really real rough schedule next year. The gators do need to make a bit of a leap. Uh, look, Spurrier called called his plays and it seemed to work out. Napier, so far, it hasn't. If it works out this year, great. If it doesn't, he could, you know, he'll have to
1: answer for it. Well, you know, the, the things I have a problem with, like you said, he doesn't seem to have a feel for the game that Steve Spurrier had. And, I mean, that's probably not fair. Steve Spurrier was unique. There were very, very few guys that could do what he did. But, you know, today's coaches, most of them don't call their own plays. And, um, you know, it's just I I didn't see creativity in the offense. And I saw more than once you got third or fourth and six, and the guy's running a four-yard pattern. That's got to stop. And – I don't care how good your receivers are. Run the dadgum pattern beyond the first down marker. So speaking of the marker, we have been told by the legendary Clarkster that we need to take a break. When we come back, we'll have Mark Wise, an interview we taped earlier with Mark Wise, who is an ESPN color commentator for their basketball broadcast, and he used to do the Gators Broadcast. So you're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is Talk. Andy Owens, currently serving on the 12th Judicial Circuit as a circuit judge, formerly a basketball player at the University of Florida, appearing on the Ronnie Ocean Show in the Ozone.
0: Talk Radio 96.7, remembering the late Toby Keith. The Ozone Show tonight brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland and by Foshi Jewelers, your one-stop jewelry store.
1: From
0: glass. Earlier this afternoon, the guys caught up with Mark Wise of ESPN. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us ESPN basketball color analyst Mark Wise.
1: Mark, I'm wel- welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie Ocean and Coach Joe.
3: I appreciate it, Ronnie. Good to be with you again.
1: Oh, man, I, I know we always we miss having you in Lakeland for the uh, state high school basketball tournament. Hopefully you'll be able to make
3: it this year. <laughs> well, you know, um, I did the Florida game uh, this year in Lakeland, so I did have a little deja vu, and I heard from all kinds of people that were involved in those high school productions way back when. So that was kind of fun for me.
1: Well, talk a little bit about the game you had last night in the Hump. You had uh, Mississippi State beating Georgia last night. Mississippi State looked pretty good at home.
3: Yeah, this is a team that uh, Lenardi has in, but barely in right now. So it was a resume protector for them. Um, you know, they played a little shorthanded. It was their first game, full game without DJ Jeffries, their best defender. And this is a Mississippi State team that beats you defensively and. Tolu Smith had a kind of a ho-hum double-double. Georgia, on the other hand, um, really struggles defending, really struggles, especially in the paint. Uh, They got crushed in the paint again last night. They are a good three-point shooting team, but um, it's a team that's struggling to find wins right now, and they've got to go on the road to Arkansas. Mississippi State hasn't won on the road all season. They've had some good neutral court games which has bolstered their resume but they haven't won away from Starkville and they go to Missouri on the weekend
1: well the Florida Gators seem like a team that's very talented and it seems like the talent is starting to gel right now talk a little bit about the Florida Gators
3: yeah Ronnie you know I've had them maybe six or seven times total all season um they can be explosive at times. Uh, I love the big guys. I love how bouncy they are. Uh, I love what they bring to the table of, in terms of rebound margin and uh, getting on the offensive glass. Especially, it's it's one of two areas that Todd Golden set as goals from last year to this season. Rebounding was one. They've gotten significantly better. And then the three-point shooting. And they're better. I wouldn't say they're significantly better, but they are better. The guy that I think is probably going to end up on the first team all SEC is Zion Pullen. He's a difference maker. He's a big guard. He's got positional size, sees the floor well, can create his own look. I think he's the piece of the puzzle for Florida that makes all the other pieces fit perfectly. We're
2: talking tonight with ESPN college basketball analyst Mark Wise. Uh, Mark, uh, Coach Joe here. I'm talking to you. Uh, you're in Stark, Vegas right now. Uh, where are you heading?
3: I'm headed to Birmingham. Uh, it's kind of a convolute. I'm going to go see my son's team play tonight. And then uh, I don't have a game this weekend. I have two next week. I have a big South matchup, uh, Radford and Winthrop. And then uh, on Saturday, I have Florida at Georgia.
2: Well, we were we were talking last week with Chris Richard about uh, the travel schedule. The Gators uh, on Wednesday of last week played at Kentucky, had a big win there. Then they had to turn around and play on Saturday afternoon at Texas A&M. And, uh, you know, it seemed like that affected them in that game, especially as they faded down the stretch at Texas A&M. And so those jump shots all started hitting the front rim all of a sudden, and they ended up getting beat by a point. And, you know, in this day and age of conference realignment, are we looking at a future where Duke might be at Virginia on a Saturday and then play Monday night at Stanford?
3: Coach, I think it's a good point. Um, I don't know that um, traveling induces short shots at the end of the game so much as maybe in that game fatigue. Um, you know, these guys are – played so many games uh, and they've played – all over the place in terms of their AAU days and high school days. So I'm not a big believer in travel fatigue. I am the big believer in um, game fatigue. And it, when those guys have to play a lot of minutes, as sometimes they do, and playing Texas A&M is really difficult. Um, uh, finding good shots is really difficult. They, they kind of drain your energy, if you will, and they, and they hope that you don't have much left in the tank. That's a unique situation because – the same shots that Florida made at Kentucky, uh, they missed at the end at Texas A&M. So I'm not a big believer in travel fatigue, but, yes, I, I think there's a concern moving forward, uh, with especially with the bicoastal leagues that we're going to see starting next year in the ACC and the Big 12. Um, certainly the scheduling gurus have to be on point in terms of that concern.
2: Let me ask you about the, the Gators in, in terms of where they stand right now. Unlike the football team, which suddenly fell apart under Dan Mullen and it sank to the bottom half of the league, the Gator basketball slide was slower and more deliberate. But the bottom line is Todd Golden inherited a team that was in the bottom half of the league. And after a lot of injuries last year, they seem to be back in the top half of the league. But I think as Gator fans, we'd like to see them in the top five in the league which they're close to right now, but it seems to me, and I want to ask your opinion on this, is that defensively it's what's holding them back at the moment.
3: I would agree with that. I think they have a hard time guarding the ball at times, and when you don't guard the ball, that means you get into defensive rotations, and and that's what you want to stay out of. So when you look at a team like South Carolina, who guards their yard very well, a team – like A&M, who's very gap-heavy and doesn't allow penetration, so you're not getting into the same kind of defensive rotations. But I also have to say this. I think the transfer portal has, for the most part, hurt teams defensively because you haven't had any carryover from one year to the next in terms of that particular coaching staff's philosophy and, and verbiage and what they want from one year to the next. And that's the way that's not going to change anytime soon. I mean, the transfer portal is here to stay. I think the two-time transfer portal is here to stay. Uh, so as I've said many times, um, I don't think our game has ever been more talented. I don't think it's ever been. Um, the parity has never been greater. The coaching has never been greater. The SEC, I don't think has ever been better one through 11, let's say, but, um, And with all that being said, I think that's because of the age of the players. But defense, you know, offensively you can spread the floor and beat somebody one-on-one, and that becomes a good offense. Good defense requires all five guys to be on the same page, and that takes time, and that's something we don't have, coaches don't have in the transfer portal.
1: Mark, I, I love your analysis, and I think your analysis of the situation that we just asked you about is a good example of that. You don't just spew coach speak. You have insightful analysis, and you're not afraid to go against the grain and come up with your own ideas, and I love that. uh, Thank you. Speaking of the the SEC, I mean, traditionally, I saw a statistic. I think this was in 1984. At that time, I think there had been 52 SEC basketball uh, championships contested, and Kentucky had won 37 of them. Well, now Kentucky's... Like fourth or fifth place, and you got Tennessee, a traditional power, but you've got South Carolina, Alabama, and Auburn up at the top. Talk a little bit about who who do you think is going to come out on in the end of this thing?
3: Oh gosh, Uh, what a million dollar question! I've said (laughs) all season long. I've said all season long. I had four teams in the top tier, and that's Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. I'm really not changing that any, and I get where Kentucky is right now in the standings. Um, but you've got to add South Carolina into the mix. I think Talon Cooper, the point guard at South Carolina, he's not the best player in the league. He's not the most outstanding player in the league, but he's the most valuable player to his team. He, he like pulling for Florida, is the piece of the puzzle that makes everybody else fit, and they are just marvelous on the defensive end. They, you know to, to, to beat Kentucky and Tennessee already, to have those wins in your hip pocket, to to win at Tennessee means you've got to be really good defensively. They're the only team I think in the league that can beat those other top-tier teams in the '60s and '70s. I think if you're going to beat Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, it, you're going to have to score in the '80s and '90s, like we saw last night in the Auburn win against Alabama. Um, I, if I had to, if you're making me, if you're making. Me, right, <laughs> Uh, I would probably have Auburn first. I've had Auburn twice. I love their energy at home. I love their depth. I love the way they come at you and wave. I would probably have Auburn 1, Tennessee 1A, Alabama 1B, South Carolina and Kentucky 2. If you're making me rank those (laughs)
2: Well, Mark, uh, the Gators' next game coming up is this Saturday. They're home to Auburn. Auburn, as you were just discussing, looks like one of the best teams in the SEC. Gators are currently, and ESPN has them uh, as a 10th seed. A couple of weeks ago, the Gators weren't even on the map. So things have changed for the better for them. Give me uh, a reason that they won't make the tournament and give me a reason that uh, they will.
3: I think um, the reason that they will make the tournament is the hip pocket win that they have against Kentucky on the road. That's that's a double bonus. Who did you know? The committee asks every year. They start with this. Period. Who did you play? Who did you beat? Where did they? Where did you beat them? So if road wins are bonus wins, there's no question about it. And your strength of schedule comes into play with who did you play at the beginning. And Florida's strength of schedule, I wouldn't call it great, but it's certainly good. So I think that's the reason why they will get in is because of the Kentucky win and they cannot afford, they cannot afford to slip up in a game that they should win. Like they've got Vanderbilt twice uh, down the stretch. Um, So they've got to be careful about that. When the games you're supposed to win and they probably need one more quad one win somewhere along the way, they've got Alabama twice. They've got Auburn coming up at home. So that's the reason they, Uh, would get in. The reason they won't get in is because they lose one of the games they shouldn't, and they don't collect another quad one win.
1: Once again, great analysis from Mark Wise. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. I know you're trying to get on the road. Good luck to your son, and uh, as always, thank you so much for your time.
3: I appreciate you guys having me on again. Thanks.
1: All right. The great Mark. Mark Wise, ESPN
0: color analyst on basketball. The Ozone Show tonight remembers the late Toby Keith. The Ozone Show is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland, turning scrap metal into cash, and by Foshi Jewelers, your one-stop jewelry store.
1: All right, Ronnie and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. Toby Keith's great patriot did over 150 USO shows for our troops overseas. Um, Gone way too soon at 62 years old and cancer. Of course, took him away from us. Coach Joe, I understand there's a big game going on this Sunday in Las Vegas. 49ers, two-and-a-half point favorites, but that's Las Vegas now. As we know, that means they're, they're trying to get money on both sides of, it, of the event. But everybody I talk to is favoring Mahomes and the Chiefs. Yeah, I think one of the reasons the line
2: has gone to minus two-and-a-half uh, it was, I believe, I thought it was higher at first, wasn't it? Three and a half? So it's I think it was. To, so it's come down a little bit because more people are starting to bet on the Chiefs. Uh, and I think the money, that, what is that called? The money that comes in like the smart money? <laughs> is that what you call it, Eric? <laughs> he calls it the, the yeah, smart money. I just money.
0: call it my money.
2: <laughs> uh-huh, see, what a skin flint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, 49ers can be really good at times, especially with that defense that they play. But they can also look vulnerable. In the NFC Championship, they actually looked both in the same yeah. game. They looked like world beaters in the second half, and they looked absolutely awful in the first. So it, it's it's perfect situation for a team like Kansas City to go in and win with their veteran lineup. But remember, when they beat San Francisco a couple of years ago, I guess about three years ago, or four now, Super Bowl Fifty Four. Uh, it, that was a game where San Francisco had control of the game, and they lost it in the fourth quarter. So I think what I comes down to to me is if Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes are standing, they're going to find a way to beat you. They're just one of those types of teams. You can never kill them.
1: Yeah, it seems that way. Well, when Brock Purdy steps on the field, he will become one of the four youngest quarterbacks to start a Super Bowl. Now, Coach Joe is very, very good at trivia, (laughs) and uh, he actually got the guy that is the hardest to get of these four youngest quarterbacks to start a Super Bowl in David Woodley. Yeah, I missed the easier one. Yeah, I was surprised (laughs) you didn't get Dan Marino. um, I forgot how young he was. Yeah, and Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, and,
2: uh, yeah, he was only in his second or third year when he took Pittsburgh to Super Bowl forty, the four, first of what would be two Super Bowl wins for him.
1: Yeah, and so he was the only one that won. Of course, we don't know what Purdy will do, but I just thought that was a pretty neat question. I never would have gotten David Woodley. I did guess Marino uh, when I heard that, and uh, I, I didn't get Roethlisberger
2: either. But David Woodley out of LSU, who's a great athlete playing quarterback. And uh, Shula could win with anybody. He was really a great coach about that. And so he took Woodley and figured out a way to run an offense that played to his strengths. But then, knowing his limitations, he had Don Strzok ready to step in. Wood Struck, yeah. When the when the uh, game needed saving, they got to a Super Bowl, Super Bowl Seventeen, with those two playing quarterback, kind of like where Woodley would start and Struck would come in if necessary. And, and uh, it was I, – I don't know how he pulled it off. You talk about a smoke and mirrors. But mind you, they had a really good defense that year, and that helped. But, uh, you know, I wrote down, Ronnie, the, a list of every quarterback who's ever won a Super Bowl as a starter. And uh, I, I guess uh, – now, Woodley didn't win. You know, we, we talked about that. Marino didn't win. So some of these young quarterbacks, that's sort of a mark against uh, Brock Purdy. But Roethlisberger did win his first try. And, in fact, his second try as well. It was his third time that he got beat by Aaron Rodgers, who was pretty young himself in the Green Bay Packers. That was Super Bowl forty-five.
1: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, when you think about Marino never getting back there again. Oh, no. You know, who would – if somebody had said, Joe – I'm going to bet you $100 he never gets back to the Super Bowl. You'd have run for your wallet, wouldn't you? Anybody would have.
2: They were so good in 1984. They just ran up against a better San Francisco team. But everybody came back the next year. The Dolphins were very good the following year. They got into the AFC Championship game. They were home in the Orange Bowl for that game. Up against New England, which wasn't having a great season, but they were decent, as they always were back at that time. And it was a rainy day, and the Dolphins turned it over five times. They ended up losing. And it would have been a great rematch with the Bears from the earlier regular season yeah. matchup. Uh, it would have been interesting to see. Instead, you got Super Bowl twenty and that was a pretty <laughs> awful <laughs> disgrace. But but uh, a, what might have been, right? <laughs> you
1: had another great question. Super Bowl winning quarterback who also won a national championship in college. Yeah. And there's been two of them. There have been two. Uh, Joe Montana
2: immediately... Jumped to mind because you remember all the Super Bowls he won. He won four of them, and they—he uh, was part. He was the quarterback for the 1977 Notre Dame national championship team. I couldn't think of another one. i i, I, w- I wrote down every single quarterback you know who played in a Super Bowl, not uh, who won a Super Bowl, not, not played. That would have taken too long. But <laughs> but uh, uh, I couldn't figure it out. But I looked it up, and I didn't realize this. It was uh, Joe Namath. That uh, Alabama had won the national title while he was quarterbacking them in 1964, and of course you know about Super Bowl three, Ronnie. Right? I'm exactly. sorry, to bring yeah, that up you had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> I have to bring well, that up from time to time. All right, <laughs> we well, won't talk about such two a downer. Don Shula in the
1: Super Bowl, <laughs> who was coaching my team that year. Oh man, that was one of the darkest days of my life. I I still can't believe that the Colts lost the Super Bowl to the Jets. The Jets were just atrocious. They were not very good. And Namath is so overrated. You know, he never threw a a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. Matt Snell should have been the MVP. Let's don't get started on that.
2: Turnovers, Ronnie. Key turnovers. uh, The Jets intercepted, I think, three passes. And uh, a couple of them in the end zone. And that always does you in in a big game. Yeah.
1: And Lou Michaels, who never missed, missed a field goal in that game, too. Yeah, everything was going wrong. Yeah. (laughs) They put Johnny Unitas in there. He wasn't healthy, and he still took him to – a touchdown. Jerry Hill scored the touchdown, and Jerry Hill went on to become famous because he and Gino Marchetti started a very lucrative hamburger franchise. <laughs> yeah, Geno's yeah. Hamburgers yeah. in Baltimore.
2: Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. You want to play? What if you know? What if the Colts had won that game? You know how would history have been different because yeah. that was such a significant game in bringing the AFL up to legitimate parity once so when the merger happened. Uh, you know, it was a great product. And, of course, it led to Shula leaving the Colts where he went to the Dolphins. And who knows what the Dolphins would have become if they didn't get Don Shula. Yeah, I mean, he certainly
1: transformed that franchise. Um, You think he was a better coach than George Wilson? (laughs) (laughs) Wilson wasn't
2: that bad a coach, but, uh, no, he he took players that were already there and he turned them into a winning lineup, plus picking up cast-offs from other teams that nobody thought about. Well, very little. Larry Little, Jim Langer, the whole offensive yeah. line it was oh, a yeah. bunch of nobodies who never were until he he brought, you know, Kuchenberg was playing minor league football somewhere. Well, think <laughs> about Zonka.
1: He was a fat fool with headaches before yeah. Shula came there. Yeah.
2: Nothing. And, uh, you know, and Greasy was considered a bust at the time. Yeah. And, and now he's in the Hall of Fame. You know, they made one significant move when he came in. They, they traded their first-round pick for Paul Warfield. Which turned out to be a, an incredible deal. It was because Cleveland was desperate to get a quarterback, and they wanted to draft somebody. Became Mike Phipps, who had a couple of good seasons, but he was no Warfield.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, in in those teams, you know, as much as I didn't like the Dolphins and still don't, I mean, to take that team with David Woodley to the Super Bowl, you know, that's coaching. And he probably the same thing with Marino. He probably took a team with another coach doesn't get there well or disagree
2: uh, 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 no i absolutely agree you know the the dolphins won with the defense in the ground game in 82 with woodley and strock at quarterback and then they drafted dan marino the next year because they they knew they needed an upgrade at quarterback if they were going to win win at all and you you remember the 83 draft marino was the last of the first round quarterbacks taken there were six of them and his stock was falling left and right. And and he and Shula was criticized for the pick by ESPN in a famous clip about <laughs> what, you, what are they gonna do with this guy? And of course Marino came in and immediately you could tell that he was something special. I, I saw him, you know, playing as a rookie, and I'm thinking, wow, I've never seen a Dolphins quarterback who could do that. You know, oh, he, he was, he was uh, so throwing those unbelievable. lasers. Unbelievable. And yeah, and he lasted 17 years. Brilliant career. Uh and but after that AFC championship loss in 85, the Dolphins only made the AFC title game one more time in 1992, and they just weren't quite ready to play, and Buffalo had a bunch of momentum. Even though there was a home game for the Dolphins, they ended up getting beaten. They've not been back since. That's 32 years now. It's
1: hard to believe. Yeah, well, it's like we were talking about. I mean, if somebody after Marino took the, that team to the Super Bowl and somebody came up and said, hey, I'll bet you 100 bucks, he Never gets back. I mean, you've been running for your wallet.
2: Oh, I to know. To take that bet. I know. He, he was so good. He just never quite had all the pieces in place. And uh, it wasn't, you know, everybody wanted to blame Shula first and then they wanted to blame Marino. But the bottom line is since Shula and Marino, uh, you know, aren't together anymore since 1995, the Dolphins have done absolutely nothing. Two playoff wins in almost 30 years.
1: Hard so, to believe. Yeah. Hard to believe. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. And we come back. We'll have that sports quiz, and we'll send somebody out to the alehouse. They can eat and drink what they want. Take $30 off the tab. How about them apples?
2: Oh, yeah. That'll make me feel better after
1: going through all this painful history of the Dolphins. There you go. You're (laughs) listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF.
3: Hi, this is Gator Bob Murphy, former PGA Tour golfer. You're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone.
0: Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone tonight on Talk Radio 96.7, brought to you by Foshi Jewelers and by Allied Scrap Processors. Tonight, the Ozone remembers the late Toby Keith. Yeah, boss man, to on his time,
1: All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. Coach Joe, is that? I think I hear stomachs growling out there. <laughs> I know, they're
2: they're hungry. We're getting Toby Keith to drown out my stomach growling, but but I guess we ought to go on and feed somebody, right? All (laughs) right, there you go.
1: Well, we know you're all waiting out there for the sports quiz, and it's coming up right now. If you haven't won in the last six months, give us a call, 682-1430. 682-1430. Got an easy one, as we usually do. We're not trying to stump anybody. All right, Joe Montana, Patrick Mahomes. Steve Young, and Brock Purdy, all Super Bowl quarterbacks. We're going to make it so easy for you. All you have to do is tell us where any one of those guys went to college, and we will send you out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. You can eat and drink what you want and take $30 off your tab. Man, that is as good a deal as it gets, 682-1430. If you haven't won in the last six months, that's 682-1430. Coach Joe, you were mentioning about the Kansas City Chiefs that at one time they were the Dallas Texans.
2: Yes, that's right where they started. On
1: this date, in 1963, they became the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was because they knew that the merger, I think, was coming. And so there wasn't enough support in Dallas at that time for two teams. So they they knew that the Cowboys would swamp them in terms of attendance. So they moved to Kansas City, which I'd say worked out pretty well. It was a smart move. Lamar Hunt
2: was a yeah. smart, smart guy. He was, of course, a leading force behind the formation of the AFL, and uh, he understood he understood the uh, landscape very well. And the, Kansas City t- turned into a model franchise, even during their dry years.
1: All right, we got a caller, Steve. How are you tonight? Oh man, I'm hungry and thirsty. That's what we need to hear, brother. That's what we need to hear. All right. Yeah. Joe Montana, Patrick Mahomes, Steve Young, Brock Purdy, can you name where any one of them went to college? Their wives' names and their social security number.
3: Uh, well, not their wives'
1: names, but uh, if I could, I'd be in big trouble. My wife with my wife.
2: What did Brock Purdy have yeah. for breakfast yesterday? Go oh, five, four, three. That's probably that? right. I don't know. We'll have to <laughs> we'll have to find uh, anyway, out.
3: Anyway, how about Steve Young at BYU?
1: Yeah, there you go. Man, nailed You're it. Exactly right. Of course, Montana, Notre Dame, Mahomes, yeah. Texas Tech, and Brock Purdy, Idaho, Iowa State. Yeah, that's right. Now, Brock Purdy was the only one I didn't know.
2: Yeah, Iowa State. He was actually pretty good at Iowa State. But but yeah. for reasons, I guess, he lasted until the very last pick of the draft, not the last pick of the first round, the very last pick mm. in the draft in the 7th round, the old Mr. Irrelevant. Amazing. But he he's well, always been like a good quarterback. Most of
3: those were that way.
2: It does seem like that, but you know, with quarterbacks, you never quite know if they get in the right situation, but Purdy is a skilled quarterback. You know, you know, he's yeah. not he's not doing anything um, magical in the sense that uh, how is he doing that or, or, or he's using tricks or anything like that. He's just a good, solid quarterback. Now, Mahomes is a magician, and, and, uh, and, and in terms of athleticism is probably better, but Purdy does everything right. So, you know, if you like good quarterbacking, he's not a bad option to have.
1: That's it. Yeah, Purdy actually had a brother, Chuba Purdy, that played at Florida State. I don't think he played much, and I don't think he was a quarterback. I don't remember, but. Chuba Purdy? Chuba Purdy. That's that's real? You're yeah. Not, uh, you're not making yeah. that
2: one up? No. Okay. <laughs> Coach Joe's looking at me like,
1: oh, come on now. <laughs> Maybe I, it was Chubby Purdy. <laughs> yeah, that would make yeah, you, sense. To... <laughs> you wouldn't make anything up now, would you? Well, only if I got a chance.
2: <laughs> he knows so much more than us. It's possible he could, and we won't even realize. Well, it, but... I, I don't know about <laughs> that. Uh,
1: let, let me tell you how good my partner is. We were talking about Super Bowl quarterbacks. From his memory, he named every Super Bowl-winning quarterback off the top of his head. Now, you do not want to get in a trivia contest I'm also an excellent driver. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, I know a lot of the old stuff. He knows the more recent stuff. But um, you would not want to get in a sports trivia contest with us, even if we had the backing of the Eric Clark Foundation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but Steve, you know, you're you are the big winner tonight. Congrat congratulations. Well, hallelujah. Yeah, and you'll you'll enjoy the alehouse. Have you been there before? I have. Yeah, it's 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 great. You know, I've I've really gotten into that uh, fiesta bowl they've got. It's it's got uh, chicken yeah, uh-huh. and shrimp and rice and all kinds of stuff in there in a bowl. It's actually very nutritious and it? it's delicious as well. And the wings mm. are so good there. Oh, so,
1: and yeah. did you hear about the big game bundle that they they're offering? this Sunday for Super Bowl 12 wings and a pitcher of Miller Lite or Coors Light uh beer 2749 how about that man that's a good deal wow that
2: sounds great yeah and you want to be there when they have the prime rib special and check out their lunch that's specials I is not I think it tonight, is on prime Thursday rib? I think so yeah and also uh, check out their the lunch specials they have during the week they have a bunch of them now some really good ones an amazing burger you're going to need about two trips to eat this burger it's so big yeah, you do.
1: <laughs> Well, <laughs> you, I, I'm I'm good for eating big burgers. All right, what's your prediction on the Super Bowl, Steve? Uh, I think the Chiefs are going to take it at 31-28. Uh, to 31-28. All right. Yes, sir. There you go. There you go. So well, hang on the I, line. When, when I call back next week, yeah, uh, I, I get another one, even though I've won in the last ninety days, because I had the right prediction. Right?
2: <laughs> You'll get a Laurel and Hardy handshake from us for sure <laughs> if you if you get it right. Uh, uh, and definitely call and, and brag if you get if you get this exactly right. Remind us oh, how, how smart you are.
1: Exactly, yeah. and uh, well, um, we're getting some Clark I Clark two first names. Smart and Malik. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Steve, hang on the line, and Eric will get your information. And, uh, all right, brother. Thank when he you. asks for your bank account number, don't give him that, okay? Yeah, you, you don't need to do that. <laughs> well, I got a fake one. Stop, stop it, <laughs> it Ronnie. Just stop <laughs> it. it. It's an offshore account. You
2: know, there you go. <laughs> that's it.
1: There you go. On this date in 1960, greatest basketball player of all time, Bill Russell, became the first NBA-er with 50 rebounds. He pulled down 51 rebounds, and on this date, Coach Paul Brown became the coach of the Cleveland Browns. He had coached at Massillon High School in Ohio. In 10 years, 11 years, he lost 10 games there, became the Ohio State coach, won the first national championship in their history, became the Browns coach in the All-American Football Conference, and they won the NFL title when they joined the NFL in 50, 54, and 55. He was the first to use game film, Tested players on playbooks, invented the face mask, and the draw play. How about them apples? Well, next week, we're hoping that we're going to have Henry Lawrence with us next week, three-time Super Bowl winner of the Oakland Raiders.